0: Hello, and welcome to Tag1 Team Talks, the blog and podcast of Tag1 Consulting. To commemorate the 20th anniversary of Drupal, we're doing an interview series with community leaders to talk about their Drupal journeys, how Drupal has transformed their personal and professional lives, what Drupal means to them, and their thoughts on the future of the platform and the community. I'm Michael Myers, the Managing Director of Tag1, and I'm honored and excited to welcome Josh Koning, the co-founder and Chief Strategy Officer of Pantheon. Welcome, Josh. Thank you so much for joining me today. Hey,
1: thanks for having me, Michael. I'm excited about this conversation.
0: So before we get started, I I love origin stories. I'm super curious because so many people that I know, including myself, studied one thing and then did another. You have a background, you have a BFA in drama from NYU. I'm really curious, how did you go from that immediately into technology? And did your background in drama help you to this day?
1: That's a great question and a, a decent story. And a short answer is yes, it has. But the way it worked for me was I I was I was a computer kid, literally as like a, a kid with my like Commodore Vic 20 loading up the basic prompt and like making like little things happen with that. But I was uh, all like self-taught, right? I, I had that Commodore and then like my mother was a graphic designer. So she had a Macintosh in the house and I would like mess around with that and wanted to write video games like I think most teenagers uh, do. And and had gotten pretty good at technology, was lucky enough in my high school at the time, in the late 90s, to actually get introduced to a bunch of stuff around like early web. And we built a web version of the high school yearbook at one point, which is great early experience. So like I had up this kind of interest in technology, but very autodidactical. Um, And at the same time, I was also very interested in arts and theater and writing and other stuff like that. And I had a a friend of my parents, pseudo mentor, who he was, had a career as a shareware author. This is like going way (laughs) back in the world of of computer. There used to be this thing called shareware before there was the internet where it was like, okay, it's fine to pirate or distribute copies of the software, but just if you do, send me a check, please just like send me 15 bucks. And he wrote like a couple like graphics programs and lived a comfortable life as a result of his shareware. And uh, and what he said to me was, Josh, you're probably not gonna like computer science school any university. It's just not your style. Um, and at the time, especially again, this is like 96, 97, this is, you would go and it would be like, let's go back and teach you like Fortran or COBOL or maybe like intro to, like Java had only been just introduced and was not like standardizing the curriculum. And he said, what I advise you to do is go to school for whatever you're most passionate about, but get a job. Go to school for what your heart most desires, but find work in technology. You won't have a problem finding a job if you hustle a little bit, you're smart, you'll figure it out. In retrospect, that's really high-risk advice, but it worked out well for me. I got into this uh, conservatory program at NYU, which I didn't think I was a little bit surprised. I surprised myself because it's it's a competitive program to study theater, which I was very much into. And then I started working, at least as a freshman, I started working in the computer lab just uh, because that was the first thing. But via people I met in the computer lab, I found other slightly better paying, much more interesting work. And essentially, while I was getting my BFA in theater, like doing like literal singing, dancing, like movement classes and and Shakespeare and other fun stuff. I was essentially getting a journeyman apprentice course in how to build web applications, like working with Sun Solaris to stick together a Postgres database and a Perl front end to run very rudimentary online applications, like a calendar syncing application, a couple other things like that. And it was like good technical experience. It was like the heady days of Silicon Alley. So I also got to see some business practices that were unorthodox and learned a little bit from that too, I think. But what kind of happened for me was that I graduated and by the time I was in my final year of theater school, I realized that I was not going to be able to pay my rent as an actor. I've I've paid exactly two months rent with acting, which I am proud of, but like, that, it's really hard. It's an incredibly difficult thing to do to make a career out of being uh, an actor because you have to just relentlessly audition for stuff that you're not that interested in and be super stoked when you get five seconds in that 7-Eleven commercial because that means you can pay your rent for a few months and maybe you'll get an agent. And it just it wasn't for me. I wasn't going to be able to. I just didn't have it in me. And I, I realized that. And so I kept doing art for fun and just doubled down on uh, tech for work Mostly freelancing early on, because I like, I think my mom was like a little bit of a role model for that. She was a freelance graphic designer for uh, a a bunch of her uh, career. And uh, so as a result of freelancing, working with a bunch of interesting people working with, you know, kind of following that self-taught path of, okay, I'll take on a new job. That's going to stretch me a little bit, but I'll learn it as I go. And by this time you could go online and use the web to learn about pretty much anything you want to do. So it all just worked for me over a few years to kind of like build up my technical chops. Well,
0: business is a lot about storytelling. I know you give a a lot of presentations, both to investors and and audiences. And so I'm sure that drama background has helped you tremendously in, in many aspects of your professional life, even if you didn't go into acting. Um, Oh yeah. Sorry.
1: I skipped over that part of the question. It's a huge, it's a huge, it's like a superpower, right? I like got got trained in a really rigorous environment for several years to be absolutely comfortable walking up in front of hundreds of people, kind of knowing what I'm doing and just riffing. And like the idea of you're going to present at a conference in a big room. There's a, there's some nervousness that like anything, any human gets a little bit of butterflies in their stomach, but I have like It doesn't ruffle me at all. I'm not worried about it. In fact, I really enjoy it. I like to, you know, get the opportunity to put together a really good presentation and deliver it really well and get people in the audience engaged. Like that's one of the, that's a very rewarding feeling. And I, there's a part of me is like... Wishes I could actually do more of that in my career because it, it is personally really satisfying to deliver a great talk, and the same way that it's very it was very satisfying for me to put on a great show in an actual theater. But yeah, it's like it's a little bit of a superpower, and and it's definitely helped me. I'll, I wouldn't, I don't think I would be where I am today if I didn't have it.
0: That's that's an awesome way to look at it. A superpower. It's I mean, risky advice or not, it sounds like it is a great way to go. I love it. Yeah.
1: I just, I like to be cognizant of like survivor bias and all these things. Like I, I like have a lot of things going for me just c- coming out of the gate. And I was lucky in a lot of ways and I, I also worked very hard. So that's a huge part of it, but, but yeah, it, I don't know whether the path that worked for me is advisable for everyone else, but it, it did work for me.
0: Well, you've been a member of the Drupal community now for just over 18 years. Your UID is 3,313. The, uh, the early UIDs, there's a lot of blank space in there. So that makes you among the first hundred, a few hundred, maybe thousand of people to discover, use, and create a Drupal.org account. I'm curious how you found it. How did you discover Drupal so early?
1: Yeah, this is a good story. I like to say I got into Drupal because we were, I was part of, I was trying to take over the government. We, being a technology freelancer, living in New York City... In uh, the the early aughts, I was a really, you know, interesting and unique time to be a New Yorker for sure. And, and I've always been politically active since my, uh, since my youth. And I just didn't want like the, I didn't want the war to happen, the Iraq war. I was like, this is a really big mistake. This is a really bad idea. This is not going to end well. We're doing this for all a bunch of wrong reasons. This is transparently a propaganda operation. This is not like it's not the way it should be. And so I got involved in the, all the protests organizing that was going on in and around New York city and they had, New York city had some of the largest anti-war protests in 2002 and early 2003, anywhere in the world. And that was a lot of work. I met a lot of interesting people and a lot, had a lot of interesting experiences. But ultimately those protests were a complete failure. They did nothing. The absolutely no effect. It just, the president was like, I, I don't take foreign policy advice from a focus group and just said, you know go fuck yourself. And that made me rethink like, okay, this is the stakes here are pretty high. This doesn't work. What might work? Well, you need to change who the president is. That means I need to start caring about the election cycle. And I got really into this at the time, like uh, a dark horse candidate uh, named Howard Dean, who was using the internet for the, he wasn't the first candidate to use the internet, but he was the first national presidential candidate in the U.S. to use the internet effectively. And what he did was, uh, he was a, you know, governor of Vermont, no, no national name recognition was like at one percent in the polls, but he was one of two people in the Democratic Party that was actually willing to say we should this war, is, and by the way, we should like have universal health care and a few other things that like we're still working on now, to be honest. But he was out front and loud and proud about that, and got and at the time, I don't know if you recall, like at the time you couldn't get that message out in the traditional media it was almost like for, it was almost like forbidden to to speak out against this stuff in any national news and so he used the internet really effectively to get that message out and i received that message via the internet and i got really excited about it and i had this thought process which was like wait i know how to make the internet here's a candidate who's using the internet he's got the message that i believe in I Instead of doing something really um, that, you know, good volunteer work, but pedestrian or commodity, like gathering signatures or like making protest signs, like I've got skills that are, har- that are rare and valuable that could be applied to this really important project. I should get into this. And so I got really into this campaign. And this is how I met my, my business partner of, of almost 20 years now, Zach, because he did the same thing. Zach had set up a website. It was called Hack4Dean with a four. The And uh, it was just like on his summer vacation from college. And it was just like a mailing list with a bunch of, you know, total rando wild, like people joined this thing. Like one of the original spec authors for XML was in there. Like Corey Doctorow was like emailing in. And it was like this whole thing, like, we got to do something. And nobody knew what to do. And so we, what we arrived on after like about six weeks of like, just incredibly intense like mailing lists and IRC chatter was we should create campaign in a box software for all of the affinity groups that are stringing up around this campaign. Cause he was starting to get traction, starting to move up in the polls, started to raise money online effectively, which everybody then had to pay attention to. And then you can spend more on advertising. You raise your name, brand recognition. It was like, there was a flywheel working for this campaign and, and it was a lot of grassroots stuff. It was a lot of like kind of bottoms up organizing. And so we said, "All there's all these affinity groups. They all need websites because that's how we're getting the message out. So we, we wanted to create campaign in a box software for all of the volunteer grassroots affinity groups around the campaign. And the, the internal thing was we obviously can't write this from scratch. We don't have the time. Let's look through the world of open source and see what could be a fit to, to start as a place to build. And the story goes, I actually wasn't there for that but the story goes that neil drum who was was part of this uh, project as well went into the pound php irc channel on free node and said What's a good content management system? And three people said Drupal. And that was it. We like picked Drupal, but and we had evaluated like like a couple others, like PHP Nuke, PHP BB. WordPress was, I don't know if you I think it might have still been called BB Press at the at that point in time. And Drupal felt like the right fit because it had the ability to handle multiple types of content was like a core thing in there. It had some like good inbuilt RSS support. We really we were really high on like RSS is gonna be a way to coordinate these. And we actually did. We created like a national syndicated RSS network for events. Uh, So like the campaign, the national campaign could propagate out events via RSS to all these other websites and have them show up and like basically create a coordinated global calendar. So yeah, we picked Drupal to, to build this thing. We rebranded it as Dean Space because Hack for Dean sounded scary to some people and built this like three months, built this like What in retrospect, you could squint at and look at and call like an installation profile or a Drupal distribution for the campaign. It ran hundreds of affinity groups, pilots for Dean, teachers for Dean, uh, farmers for Dean, whatever. And then the campaign itself used it for their state level or organizing things like their like Iowa website, New Hampshire website, California website, whatever. Those were all using that uh, software and, you know, Zach moved, actually went to join the campaign and moved to Burlington. And like uh, some people actually joined up with the campaign. A bunch of other people remained like volunteers on the outside, like I did. But that was how I found Drupal. And we were, it's interesting. We, we spent, I think in that first three months that, in that burst of activity, I didn't get involved in the Drupal community really at all. Cause we were just like really on the outside focused on just building with this thing. And it was only when we got past that initial burst that we realized that there's a whole wealth of knowledge and information inside this community that we could start tapping into. And so that was a was it actually a self-interested thing as it got to be like the end of 20, 2003 to go and start engaging, not just reading doc pages, but actually engaging in the Drupal community. And then like we had like always thought we should give back some of the code we're writing. So thinking about what do we have to do to actually release some of the stuff that we created and so forth. And yeah, so that was my in- intro to the Drupal, the Drupal community. And that got followed up because the D campaign was obviously not successful. Was it was actually unsuccessful in a rather like spectacular fashion and which was heartbreaking to be honest. Like we put a lot of a lot of our passion into that and it just went from could actually work, might actually take over the government to like, nope, not gonna happen in like a, a week. And but a bunch of people kept going. I worked for a nonprofit that was I, I found work with a national nonprofit that was generally aligned with, was it like a campaign particular candidate thing, but it was like trying to do online organizing and activism from a progressive standpoint. And we kept using that technology stack. So I got more and more into Drupal over the course of 2004, as I was like helping with this music for America project and Zach, Started civic space, which was basically let's take the concept of Dean Space and make it nonpartisan, totally open source, like for all the NGOs in the world. Because at the time, the nonprofit tech world was like really dominated by some not so great legacy proprietary, what you would call today SaaS platforms, but they were just not awesome, right? It was like very rudimentary tools, no ability to really like work on like what the actual digital experience was and like really expensive for these NGOs to run. So there was the idea to create an open source alternative to all those things, which was pretty successful. Yeah, so that was like through through that like kind of crucible, I ended up on the other side, like, Having not actually in a position to start giving back to the Drupal community, probably about a year after I first got into it.
0: Dean Space, I I remember that campaign vividly and Dean Space revolutionized American politics online. I, I think he really undersold it. It really became the model by which every campaign was run moving forward. It was transformative. And it was also the first major success on the map for Drupal. You know, I don't think I would have discovered Drupal if not for that. And that was that, that when you go to use a platform, you say, who else has used it? What has been done with it? And I was like, oh my gosh, that Dean. So it was a major reason that I got into the community and ended up using it for my company. So after Dean Space, you know, Music for America, I think it's interesting that you spent a little bit of time at Trelin. And I just want to mention that. I don't think Trelin is around anymore, unfortunately. At least there was a 404 on their site when I checked it out this morning. But so many amazing people at some point in time, spent a stint at Trellin, especially a lot of like early people in the community, like Morbusf yeah. who did the IRC chatbot, and Jim Gilliland who's on the security team. It's just it blows my mind the number of amazing people that at some point were touched by Trellin. So then you went on after after all that, in around 2006, if I recall, which is roughly. Uh, Drupal 4.5. You team back up with Zach Rosen and and Matt Cheney, and you guys formed chapter three, what, what led you guys to come together and create a Drupal agency? Uh,
1: that's a great question too. So let me see if I can roll. I can talk a little about Trellin because I think there's actually a, there is a bridge point that's in there too. Okay. By the end of 2004 and like that, the actual presidential election cycle, uh, which was also heartbreaking, I got, I was just totally burnt out. Like I, early 2005, I was like, I need to, I need a break. I can't do politics right now. I, I, I need to do something else. I need to figure out a way Way to just hit the reset button on my life, so I I started I basically couch surfed for three or four months in between San Francisco and and, and New York City, and then I got together with the, my two high school best friends and. We pooled all of our money and did a three-month cross-country road trip, which was actually, this is like not about technology, but it, it was actually, for me, really, it was a lot of fun, first of all. But I like, at the point where I was like being so like burnt out on on, on politics and, and the election and the campaign, like spending time just like traveling through the country and like meeting regular, totally, regular old people in Places like Texas and Alabama and Georgia, we spent time in all these like red states. I think very positive for me in an interesting healing way. And like we put a travel blog up of the whole thing, obviously running on Drupal. And I think that's still online if people wanna can search for it, vagabender.org. And at the end of that, I came back to my home in Oregon, to my mom's place. And we parted ways at the end of the road trip. And I was like, basically broke. Like I, I was like, okay, mom, I need to move in with you for a little while. Cause I need to figure out what I'm doing next. And I started like looking for a Drupal job because now I have these skills and like in the intervening time, like the Drupal economy had started to really develop between 2004 and, and 2006. This was like, sorry, summer 2005. So like over that, uh, over that year and a half, this like Drupal economy had started to develop and there were now these Drupal agencies that were out there. And I emailed all of them. I think there were like six or seven. And, and Mike Haggerty got back to me right away. He was like, hey, I will put you to work tomorrow and i was like great that's what i need and and i think honestly like his like i move fast i like hire people when they come in i know how to spot talent like i think that is a big part of why so many people have spent time working it did spend time working for that company and uh, and yeah so i i worked there for about 8 or 9 months and worked on some some interesting projects i met some like some some other really interesting i had a connection to that also through through andrew hoppen who had been involved in the the Dean space, civic space stuff, and met some of my my colleagues at the time. were really great people too. And and it was with Mike and co that we went to Vancouver, British Columbia, for the Open Source CMS Summit in I think it was like January or February of two thousand six. And that to me was like it lit the spark again, because it was the first real like in person Drupal. Was it for, actually, the, I think the first in-person like big tech thing I had ever been to. But that wasn't like a, yeah, that wasn't like strolling around the halls of Macworld, which is a bit like a consumer experience. This is, here are the people. We went to the bright offices in Vancouver and Boris Mann gave a big speech and all these, you know, people were there. And it wasn't just Drupal people. There's Matt Holmweg was like hanging out. And and the the power of that community and the people who were there looking at a shared opportunity and the chance to do something it, it was this idea of okay there were there's potentially commercial interest here and people are starting businesses but we're like we're in a, like this idea of co-opetition and we're building a commons that everybody can like leverage was really I, it really resonated with me and i was and still am to this day like a big believer that the internet is going to be a, is and will be a huge net positive for humanity and, a, and an important part of how we actually navigate the 21st century as a species. And being able to be a part of that community that's working on, make again, making better tools to build the internet for people, it, it rekindled that same like passion in me that I had, hadn't felt for at least a few years. And I got really excited and got more involved in the community And, and that was sort of, you know, I just had a lot more ideas of my own and this is what I want to do. This is where I want to take things. And it was, wasn't possible to do all that while I was working full-time, like doing client work. And so I, I had to leave the, the job that I had without anything else lined up. Actually, I, what I, what I did was I, I was talking to all my friends about like my kind of dilemma and I feel like I'm a little bit stuck. And one of my friends that I had been on this road trip with, he lives like, like remote Northern California. And he said, Listen, man, why don't you come out here just for the summer? I have the internet too, and your rent could be like 200 bucks a month. And I said, that's not a bad idea. Let's try that. And and so I went and lived in a, a town called Trinidad, which is way on the northern uh, coast of California. And... I started going back down to San Francisco and then I reconnected with Zach and Matt and we had like very similar, we were reconnected with Zach and through Zach, Matt, they had been at uh, UIUC together and we had a lot of the same ideas. And what we landed on was you saw, okay, so Mike did Trellon and Jeff and Matt did Lullabot and there's the, you know, Bright did their thing. So we could start start our own thing. We could be our own, we could be our own boss. We could call the shots. We could decide what we wanted it, what it is we want to do. And that was where like the idea for chapter three came from of just like we could try to chart our own course in this emerging Drupal economy and be able to work on the things we wanted to work on. And yeah. And, and so that's, that summer of 2006, we decided to go for it and throw in together to see if we could get this thing off the ground.
0: And get it off the ground, you did. I think where we first met is that open source CMS conference in Vancouver. Yeah. I was, I was racking my brain this morning before we checked. I mean, totally. I you, yeah, 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 yeah.
1: Because you were. Um, were you working with with Bright and Co. or no? You were with this was sorry I, I, your early career from that. What was the name of that the news site that you uh, were like the CTO of?
0: Yeah, I started a company called Now Public, yes. which was the first venture-backed J startup and. Boris Mann is another key reason that I use Drupal. I sat down with him in Vancouver. He gave me like tons of his time and he was like, this is why it's a good platform versus everything else that's out there. And he was a major reason. And then now public ended up sharing and buying office space with Bright. Like our two companies were co-located for gosh, the, the first two years of now public. And then they merged with rain city and kicked us out because <laughs> they needed, <laughs> they needed space. the space. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, and we, we found office down the street. They had, they had a gorgeous office on the water in Vancouver, but so chapter three is, is still going strong today. You got, you ran it day to day for 15 years. And then I'm curious, cause I, I remember being in your office and talking. To Strauss before Pantheon was real. And I don't remember who all was at the table, but I remember being in the conference room and Strauss is always blowing my mind with this uh, amazing idea and vision. And I think back to that conversation, and, and so much of what you guys were talking about in that room has come true today with Pantheon. And so I'm curious, how did you go from, okay, we have a digital agency to we want to create Pantheon.
1: Oh, that's a good. That's a good. Good story too. So I'd say this is a place where some of this was. I mean, it was the experience we had at Chapter Three, and like a little bit what we were seeing around us, and it was the experience, but both positive and and in some cases not so positive. We so Chapter Three I started with three three guys, and we grew it over. Like really four years from the three of us to about 30 people that like boutique agency size, where like the next level of the game is figuring out how to scale management and client services and other stuff that, that, and to be frank, that at, at that point in our lives, none of us were passionate about those sorts of challenges. And, uh, but we had done it all completely bootstrapped right just with our our own grit and not taking a paycheck sometimes so we could pay other people and it was like a, a great experience honestly I would say we can talk later on some, some of the things that we were able to do in the community during that time I think were really positive but as it pertains to Pantheon I think What was happening for us was we came up with the agency, and the agency grew, and Drupal grew, and we started working with bigger and more exciting and interesting and challenging customers. And we started running into a lot of common patterns of problems, regardless of what the website we were building was, who it was for, what the design was. Those are all created like very different Drupal development challenges that were unique or more or less unique to the project. But there were these more fundamental kind of meta operational challenges that we kept running into. And the solutions we developed for those were like converging, you know, getting just incrementally better based on our experience. And the challenges were around how do we make a team of developers effective together, especially if that team might include people from different organizations. Like if you work on larger projects, maybe there's more than one agency and Involved. maybe there's some subcontractors, maybe there's some developers or IT people from the client side that are participating in the process. How do you make that work so you're not stepping on each other's toes so that you can effectively collaborate, so that you can review, so that you can have transparency, so that you can integrate? And then like, when you want to launch a website, how do you make it scale. At the, that was one of the, the big things that, uh, you know, David was uh, really instrumental in with press flow was really proving that you could scale Drupal. In fact, actually going back to the, the campaign days, just as a quick aside, like you're totally right. I don't know. I would say it's a stretch to say that Dean space in particular laid down the, the track for digital organizing and presidential stuff going forward. But it was a part of that. But like quite literally, the core digital team from the Dean campaign founded an agency called Blue State Drupal that then was the Obama tech operation, like the same people the same core group and I remember having a very late and loud conversation with one of their principals in like at Netroots Nation 2007 maybe and I was trying to tell them that they should use Drupal for more stuff and they were like no you Drupal can't scale you got to do it like movable type does you got to you got to Uh, write out the static files so that you can scale it because we have really big scale challenges. And at the time, he he was kind of right. It was, uh, you know, Drupal's had some internal, like pretty good, honestly, at the time relative to other open source projects. So the internal capabilities to scale with like page caching and stuff the sort of stories of Drupal can survive a slash dotting, which was not true of every software, but it really wasn't ready to take on like out of the box. It wasn't ready to take on. Sustained large-scale traffic loads. That was a kind of you—you you, you needed to do extra work to make that uh, happen. And and as we were working on these larger projects, right at chapter three, we had to do that extra work over and over again. So these twin operational challenges of how do we get teams of developers to work together effectively? How do we make websites that can scale? And we developed good expertise in those through like the school of hard knocks to some extent. And and then what happened was I guess two things happened that started to spark the idea that eventually became Pantheon. One, we, you know, you go to the, now there was DrupalCon and DrupalCon's amazing. And so DrupalCon, like you have your case study track where people tell their success stories. And then you have your like hallway track or your happy hour track where people sometimes talk about the not so success stories, which are interesting. And I remember talking to other peers in the digital agency space and, you know, you can can kind of talk about like projects that went off the rails or clients from hell, whatever kind of stuff you commiserate about. And a lot of the really harrowing stories that other uh, agency owners had to tell had this, these same features where like, yeah, we were getting a little bit behind, uh, so we tried to add more developers that actually slowed things down and we got more behind. So we really had to like really do a really big push to get to the launch date. And then the website went live and and then it would crashed. And so then we had to put in like another, like super sprint just to get things stable and they're stable now, but nobody wants to touch anything. And also the client's telling me they're not going to pay me the final installment because of all this, all the problems and they want to, I still have to pay my people. And it was like, oh gosh, this, this puts people's, oh, sorry. I think my internet got unstable for a second. I'll pause. I am back. Yeah. Yep. So I, I can go back, you know. So these, these are real, these challenges have real world consequences. Like it's websites, right? We're not like nobody's going to live or die if their website is up or down, but it really does affect people's like stress levels. And, and if you can't, if your client doesn't pay you and you can't pay your staff, then your business will unravel. And, and we, so we thought, oh gosh, there's a real need for this stuff. And we were doing pretty well at it. I, you know, not to toot our own horn, we were pretty good at this stuff, but it was like expensive, right? It's like, okay, I have to convince the client to hire me and like my two most senior tech folks to do like, six weeks of work upfront before they'll see a- anything, uh, before they even see like hello world with Drupal. And like at our hourly rates, like that's expensive. Like you're talking about people that can like make like, like a high five, low six figure investment upfront just in workflow and infrastructure. That really makes it a, a luxury product that not everyone can afford. And, and so our realization was that there was a real need to make this there was a need to make this kind of operational capacity that we were good at building as a one-off much more available. And so the first thing we did was we tried to open source it. We got together and this was still chapter three and and David was still at Four Kitchens. We had worked together on a couple of these projects. So we were collaborating around this stuff. And I went out and I made... um, these Amazon machine images, like this is early days of a- a- AWS, and you could make an EC2 machine image and make it publicly available. This is like it was like whoa revelation. And then we made one for to showcase that you could use Drupal with Varnish so that it could scale, called Mercury. We made one with a Jenkins continuous integration setup called Vulcan, and then we made one that showcased that you could run Agar like to do multi-site and the, they they got some interest. And in particular, like the the Mercury one, people were just like, oh, cool. Uh, So where do I pay you for support for this? Like you're going to sell this to me, right. And maintain it for me. And I was like, no, I'm not. I'm relabeling all of this alpha, not for production use, because I don't want, as an open source project, I don't want that. I I can't take that kind of responsibility. And, you know, but it, it demonstrated that again, there was this real need there. And partly kudos to Zach for, for being like. Ambitious and and visionary enough to think we could do it, but we were like, Hey, we're in San Francisco. Look at what's going on around us. Like we could maybe start, uh, we could start a, a new kind of company. You know, we, we like beat level one of the agency game and but we don't need to send any to play level two. We could play a different game and actually make a product. We could build a platform. And yeah, we need to work on that a lot to make it actually responsible to put in anyone's hands. But like, we could raise money and do that. And and so we, we, we like finagled our way into having dinner with the founders of Heroku, and they like these, you know, pretty successful at the time, platforms and service. Like they're like Ruby guys. They're like from LA. They were very cool. They're like they still are very cool. Um, you know, very stylish individuals. And they were just like you guys got to do this and uh, we'd love to have dinner again, but not if you're not even decide you're going to do this, you got to do it. And, uh, and so we decided to do it and, and it worked out. So again, more, more high risk advice that went in, a, in our favor, fired ourselves from our jobs at the agency, stopped taking a paycheck to really make it real. And and went out and raised a little bit of money to, to build a beta version of the platform and then use that to raise enough money to build a real version of the platform and took it off from there.
0: I got to ask when you guys started out, did you ever in your wildest dreams think you were going to build a billion dollar company? I,
1: In our wildest dreams? Yes. Like that's the, <laughs> and the thing is that that's part of the, like, that's what the, those mechanics are what make Silicon Valley venture capital work. Like any, like you don't get, you can't raise money from people if you don't credibly have an ambition to build something that could be that successful. It's a weird it's a weird thing. And again, I say like high-risk advice because it's a little bit like the music industry. It's a hit-driven business. Only one out of seven of these of, of the VC-backed projects will even make it to any kind of success. And it's like one in, in 20 or less is a meaningful success. And it's like the one in a hundred that really make people's portfolios. So what? But what they're looking for is people who are gonna swing for the fences and have a vision that you could, again, you're thinking like, okay, I can squint and see how in 10 years, if, if these trends continue and these guys can execute, or guys and girls now, thankfully, uh, can execute, it could be a really big deal. So, like, we had this idea, like, hey, we want to run a non-trivial percentage of the internet, and, and if we do that, yeah, that's a billion-dollar business. And, and we we got a long ways to go, to be honest, but we have, I, I ran some stats the other day, and we, we get over a billion unique visitors to some website on Pantheon every month which is about 30% of the internet browsing human population. And, and yeah, it, and, and and we've got a long ways
0: to go still. That's amazing. That's mind blowing. I think you you have to believe if you're going to start a business, you, you have to believe, humorous or not, you have to believe that you can get there or you have no business starting a venture back business for that matter. Yeah, sort of lifestyle business, but <laughs> you're not going to get very far in, in the venture world. So we've talked a lot about your... Professional history in Drupal. A big part of Drupal is its open source nature. It successes the community. A good segue I know Pantheon. Does a lot for the community. You know, you guys are the top sponsor of every major event. You are a top sponsor of the Drupal Association. But I know you guys do so much more than that. I, I want you to share so people know because I, I think it's really important that more companies get engaged and give back in more ways. Some of the ways that you guys contribute that people probably don't know about.
1: Yeah, I think it's an interesting question because we don't we don't have people who are like a full-time on staff working on Drupal core. That's just not something that ever made sense for us to do for a variety of reasons. But the we do make a bunch of technical contributions that are about that are actually about everything else around Drupal. So we've worked through a bunch of the things that are necessary in the, the Linux ecosystem to really support Drupal and like a, another PHP CMSs so that they can work well and they can work at scale. Some of the contributions we made to, to CURL and Systemd and other of these like like really like low level fundamental components that like Drupal sits on top of a whole stack of other open source tech. And frankly, from a technical perspective, we've given a lot more back to that underlying tech stack than to Drupal core itself in particular. We do make some other contributions too, in, in terms of security team and, and, and other things which are important. But yeah, it, it, I think it takes all kinds, right? And I think for us as, a, as an operations platform for the web, right, the, frankly, like the internal skills we have within our engineering organization and the, the place where we spend most of our mental energy and time is at that platform layer. And so that's where most of our contributions go back in. Um, and And I think it's right that like for companies that want to give back, like where you give back should be a combination of in your sweet spot of like where you legitimately have the the skills and expertise to do. And it should be aligned with like your interests. Like I actually, I think it's fine if people want to give back as a form of charity, but it's not particularly sustainable to look at giving back to open source as a charitable activity. Because as soon as push comes to shove, it'll always get like dialed down. You have to like giving back to open source should be strategic in my opinion. And so, yeah, and and like beyond that, like there, there's other places where we we make contributions and, and we're actually building a team now internally to do this more organized and sustainable fashion to look at, third-party contribution, third-party modules, third-party libraries and so forth that need, again, very often for our, with our unique focus, not unique, but with our singular focus on helping people ensure like high performance and scalability in all the sites, because that's just fundamental table stakes for having a credible web presence. There's a lot of code that gets written in open source where the author does great work, but they're scratching their own itch in their particular use case. And it's, yeah, it works for me on my laptop or it works for me on my small website. And I'm very happy to give this back to the community and uh, have other people use it, but it, it hasn't actually been, um, it not actually set up to, to handle higher performance or large scale use cases. And but the good news is really often, it's not a huge change to get it to, to work in a scalable way. And so if we can, the ability to give, to make things work, you know, make, make things like that, make those types of contributions so that there's less kind of foot guns out there in the open, in the contrib space where people are like, oh, this looks like a great thing. Let me turn this on and something like pff, your performance goes down and you have to like frantically turn the thing off. We, we like to avoid those moments for people.
0: Wow, I think contribution back should be driven by self-interest, alignment of goals. I wholeheartedly believe that's the way that open source is going to be successful. Your first contribution to Drupal, do you remember, I you know, there are many ways to contribute to Drupal, as you said. Code is just one of them, but code is at the core of Drupal. and you've done hundreds of code commits to the platform. I'm curious, do you remember, one of like your earliest commits and what that experience was like. Do you remember what you committed and how it went?
1: Yeah, I, I'm. I would be lying if I said for sure I remember the first line of code I contributed back. But I can. There's the first kind of things that I felt were meaningful and I was that I was proud to do. One was still today the only. Uh, line, uh, the only contrib that I have that's in Drupal core, and it's probably not even Drupal core anymore because it's probably been rewritten, but there was a bug with the comment preview functionality in Drupal 6, no Drupal 5. And I was like, oh, I, I like, I was annoyed by it with clients and I was like, I'm going to figure out why this is happening. And it looks like turned out it was a one line fix. It was just like somebody missed like a class attribute that was supposed to be applied to something. So I wrote it up as a patch, followed the instructions, sent it in and it got committed. And it, actually it felt really good. It was like a small thing, but it, it felt very meaningful to have, okay, I've got one Contribution in there, and then from like a, but but in third-party contrib land, like the most meaningful thing I think I, I did there was I wrote up the original version of the Varnish module, which ended up being taken over by by Dick Olson, who did a much better job than I did at stewarding and like managing uh, managing it going forward and handling contributions. But I I wrote the first the original sort of instance of the the Varnish contrib module to make a module to help Drupal and Varnish or and better yet, Pressflow and Varnish work well together. Yeah, so I think those I think of those as my two. Like code. When you say code commits, those are the two things that come to mind. I probably had some other stuff to the event module too, but I, I don't remember it for sure.
0: You've made tremendous contributions to the community outside of code. What are you most proud of?
1: Oh, I, I. I mean, the single thing that I think I credibly did to help Drupal outside of the commercial stuff. Like commercial stuff does help, like popularizing Drupal, building it into successful things, evangelizing Drupal. That's real. But the Drupal Dojo was like my let's give back and it was an intentional thing where i wanted to give back in a meaningful way and it worked really it worked much better than i thought it would in a way that i i think actually had I can see how it had really positive ripple effects. So this was in like 2007, which we had gotten chapter three off the ground. I felt like I had been leaning on the community really hard while getting chapter three off the ground. Just like, oh, we got to do this for a client. I don't know how it works. Let me go into IRC and beg. Or I need to hire somebody real quick. Let me like lean on the community. And I was like, okay, I got to balance the scales here somehow. And we had the groups.drupal.org had just gotten spun up. And I thought, let's use this. And what I'll do is, I'm not saying that I know everything, but I, I like, again, like I have this particular skill set, which is not like, how do I build Drupal core, but it's how do I build a website for a use case with Drupal, right? And that was something that, like, that was what all the agencies were doing, but there wasn't a ton of like, documentation around how to actually do that. There's lots of if you want to write a module in abstract, here's how you go about doing it. And there wasn't like a clear thing of like, here's how the node hook system works. And if you're thinking about customizing a publication workflow, this is a way to imagine how it's how the pieces stick together. Here's how you can put put something in place. Here's how you debug it. And so what I landed on was I'm just going to do these things. Like I'll do it every Sunday from my like my bedroom in, in like remote Northern California. And I'll just live stream at the time we cobbled together this tech stack from like a bunch of bits and pieces, but now it's you just do it on Twitch. But we were like, we built it ourselves. I'll just live stream myself trying to code, making mistakes, figuring it out, and I'll have the IRC uh, channel open over here so I can take questions from people and respond. And like, it's literally exactly what Twitch is. Uh, And there are people that do live coding on Twitch now really successfully, but we just uh, assembled it ourselves uh, a while back. And what what was amazing about it was at first I thought, okay, I'll get like maybe 10 or 20 people that want to learn stuff and I'll mentor them up through this process and then they'll... I'll, I'll have done something. And we got like over a hundred people by the third session. And then other people saying, I want to do this too. Can I guest in? Can I, do the, can I have a guest spot and do next Sunday? And so it just turned into this like really great community thing of people coming in and doing like presentations and showing their way of doing various things with Drupal. And for a good couple of years, it was a very active like self-propelling learning community that I know was helpful for a lot of people who were discovering Drupal at the time to get up to speed and to feel confident um, using the platform. It had a major
0: impact for sure. So uh, a tough question here, a little controversial. What is your favorite feature or aspect of Drupal and your least favorite?
1: So my I'm going to I'm going to be, i going to answer this from a developer's perspective, because that's still how I, that's how I feel Drupal is as code less than as a, like an admin UI. And it's the double-edged sword. I love the way that Drupal has done certain things to abstract and make pluggable. And I hate the way that Drupal has done certain things to abstract and make pluggable. And it's one of those, it's like a, it's like a, it's like a cliche engineering answer perspective of you can just, it... It's controversial because people put their put a lot of work into doing these things. But I think you can take a step back if you look back at history where where abstraction was a preemptive optimization and ended up being a bunch of work that didn't yield much value and increased the complexity of the system in a way that didn't help anyone or didn't help very many people versus where abstraction was like, oh no, that was the thing that we needed and that like now enabled a whole ecosystem of new things to be built on top of it that like totally is rad. So like if I, to to answer it in controversial form, like I would still go back to like the core, the idea of node hooks because that was so, it's just so powerful so useful like such a great way to get into like the decorator pattern of building things out and based on this is what you do when you're managing a core content thing it doesn't have to be a page doesn't have to be a blog doesn't have to be an event it's a node of some type and it goes through this series of processes and allows anything else to plug and play with it along that journey of being saved edited the whole crud journey that's actually really smart like that's an internal pattern that isn't in on a lot of other content management systems and frankly I they, everybody should copy it's awesome and there's other things that came after that with like entities and so forth that are similarly like smart really solid content oriented thing if i was going to point out something that i thought was not a great optimization and it has every time i've had to deal with it has led to like kind of pain and suffering be like the database abstraction layer like we be been way better off if everyone's just like drupal only runs on MySQL. sorry it's just because the you, you would prevent confusion. You'd eliminate a bunch of code. You could lean into the things that MySQL does, and only my, like in a certain way, and actually get value for the system versus having to settle for the more abstract, just generic ANSI SQL feature set. And I think that was like a missed opportunity early on. Again, like most of my like deep like. Drupal opinions are from, not from the past few years. It's from like the time when I was like really involved in building sites. But I I feel like that the, if I could go back in time and just say, let's not do database next generation, let's take the opposite path and say like Drupal is going to lean into MySQL. I think it would have helped the project.
0: For Drupal to be around for another 20 years, what has to happen? What do we need? What do we got to change?
1: I think the the biggest things that probably need to happen for Drupal to thrive for another 20 years, I think Drupal will be around for another 20 years, pretty much no matter what. But in that, Dries sometimes had a a set of are term where we do want to be around like cockroaches are still around or we want to be around where a real part of the of the story. Drupal has enough of a footprint and enough like places where it's not going, it's not going to disappear. But for Drupal to really be thriving in another 20 years, I think that, you know, it's not one thing from a technical standpoint, but like Drupal has to attract a an- a new generation of talent and that's hard to do. That's actually pretty difficult to achieve, but frankly, that's what it would take. There's a, you know, there's a lot of people that are about your and my age that were part of this community. And it's because we came up with Drupal and it was formative in our careers. And we learned it when we were up and comers and cut our teeth on it in a lot of ways. That doesn't happen. Now, very much, and and I think for Drupal to really be a thriving, vibrant thing, like the amount of like large scale business and and an institutional investment in Drupal is going to keep it uh, alive and and like healthy for quite some time. But if it Drupal needs to find a, a new wave of talent, and I think there's a way that could actually happen in the sort of next generation, modern web development context, where people want to build with people, people who are building the web now are increasingly, and for good reason, starting with a user experience and building backwards from there. And that's why everyone's interested in headless and so forth, because they build back to needing a content management system. And then I don't want, I've already built the user experience. I don't want the, the CMS to give me pages. I just wanted to give me content. And there's a real gap in the market right now. There is no solid, widely supported, understood open source, headless content management system. It doesn't exist. And there are a bunch of like proprietary SaaS, headless CMSs that are really good. And it's a stretch to think that like Drupal could fill that gap because it's a pretty big gap to fill, but there's there's definitely an opening there for a, a CMS that can support the modern user experience development and, and do it in a way that's open source, which I think is would be a really positive and awesome thing for Drupal to do because people want to own their, you want to own your content model, you want to own your editorial workflow, you want to own your data. Those are all like really good pragmatic reasons to want open source for your content. But, you know, people also want a really great user experience and they'll give up a lot to deliver a better user experience sometimes. So I don't know if that's actually feasible or if it's even, or if it's even the right thing, there might be another. Path for Drupal too, but that's one that I see that could be interesting.
0: This is a tough question to ask because I'm sure there are countless people that have helped you or influenced you along the way. And Drupal is a community and, and one person is not a community. But you know, if you had to single out one or maybe two people who were, you know, really influential in your Drupal journey as mentors. Who would you think? Um,
1: so yeah, I, I have like a, the, a super old timer answer. So it'd be check X and DWW, like old heads know. But it's like it was, you know, at the time that I was trying to build a mental model in my head of how Drupal worked, the, so that I could feel confident creating stuff with it. They were the two people who spent the most time typing back and forth with me and irc until it started to click and that really that really Caroli uh, and and derek i really owe them uh that debt of gratitude for p- being willing to just volunteer to to teach me about this stuff and yeah so i'd say those are probably the two people that are, were the most like mentors for me in, in, in drupal there's a lot of people that i found very inspiring but like in terms of like where i actually got the hands-on
0: help it was the two of them yeah, both amazing people and brains. Karoli Chicks was very influential in my career. Yeah, uh, he was my my first employee at, at now public. Worked with him for seven eight years, and every day he managed to blow my mind. He, he was you know controversial but amazing, and I learned so much from the guy. I miss him a lot. Right, one last question. You've been overly generous with your time. Who should I interview next? When you think about people in the community that have been a major part of its history and success? Oh, that's a great question.
1: I So I would say, again, just sticking with like, like people that I feel like I, I had a some kind of closeness to and that aren't like, you know, that might not have art. I'm going to try to get again another good deep cut, the hip, hipster Drupal. I think you should try to track down Dimitri Gaskin. Oh, wow. Dimitri G01.
0: Yeah. He
1: uh, who, who like, he, yeah. he, I remember him coming, in. he was like the child prodigy of, of Drupal. I remember him coming into, I think it was like DrupalCon DC or something like that. And he got up on a step stool to be above the podium to give a talk to 300 like adults. And he owned, like he wrote a bunch of good code too, but I would just like a really, and uh, and I, I, he's in the Bay Area. So I met him a few times as he was growing up and he's gone on to, he went to Stanford. He's doing a startup now. He's doing great. But he's just a great, really fantastic individual And and did a bunch of, I met him through the Drupal Dojo and he did a bunch of really cool stuff and would be an interesting person to talk to.
0: Uh, that's an amazing recommendation. I remember that presentation. So I mean, it's it just the image of him, you know, putting that stool in place and getting up and he said owning the room. It was yeah. it was amazing. He, he is a brilliant guy and I will definitely be shout to him. Dude, I, I wish we could keep going. Uh, There's so many things that I would love to talk to you about. But like I said, you've been overly generous in your time. We're over time. So thank you so much for joining us. I, I really appreciate it. I know you're a really busy guy. Yeah, no, it's my pleasure. And thank you for, thanks for doing this project. I think it's a really
1: wonderful thing to do, you know, kind of at the 20 year mark to collect these stories. And thanks for hosting this and, and giving me a chance to like, like reminisce about the some of fun, like the funnest times of my career, to be honest. And yeah, The community has been a huge part of, of our success and and it's also just been a Part of who we are as people. And so it's good to recognize that and nice to remember all those things too.
0: Yeah, I'm going to try and do one a week between now and the end of the year. I Every time I do one, I love it. You know, reminiscing, catching up. We lead busy lives with so much going on. It's great to see you. To our listeners, uh, please make sure you check out the other interviews in the series tag1.com slash 20. That's two zero. If you like this talk, please remember to upvote, subscribe, and share it out. You can check out our other Tag1 Teen Talks at tagonecom slash talks. As always, we'd love your input, your feedback on this show, on people we should interview, other topics we should cover. You can reach us at talks at tagone.com. That's tag, the number one, dot com. Josh, again, huge thank you for joining us. To everyone who tuned in, we really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Michael.